Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for tonight's program. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet. He pleaded with them to stop doing what they were doing and to repent and to return. It shows us something about God's heart, something I think that as we worship Him, we can develop that same kind of heart for people who mess up. God's covenant with Israel was described as being as a marriage. When Israel refused to return to God, God enacted the laws of divorce. Jeremiah announced that God was going to establish a new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Tonight, a challenging discussion as Dr. Corbett explores the divine divorce of Israel. We are looking at part 194 of the Jeremiah series, and this is continuing through the themes, the major themes of Jeremiah. One of the things that makes the Bible and Jeremiah unique is that it is a story. And you might assume that all religious holy books are basically the same. They all either tell a story or uh, have narratives in them. And you would be surprised to find that that's just not the case at all. In fact, the Quran is uh, not a story. It's certainly not sequential. There's a great amount of debate over which order it should be read in because of this thing that Muslims have called the law of abrogation. The Hindu Vedas, then it's not a story. There's all sorts of so-called religious holy books. It's not a story. The Bible is actually a story. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. And as we look at Jeremiah, we are looking in the middle. And not only are we looking in the middle, Jeremiah, as we will see in a moment, reflects on what the end is going to look like. Draws, draws back on the past and touches the future. It's kind of like communion. In one sense, you know, Jesus said, he, he took bread, broke it, do this, do, do it now in remembrance of me, looking back, so there's the now and the back, until I come, that's the future. And so we have those moments where God intersects the, those three dimensions of time. And the Bible is unique like that, but it's, it's more than a story. The Bible is not just a story, it's a love story. And it's a love story of a God who loves, who formed a special relationship with a people to show all people what having a relationship with him could look like. This love story has a wedding in it, it has, which is called a covenant, which we looked at last time, last week. It has a betrayal and it has new hope. And so as we look at Jeremiah, I want to touch on one aspect of that story. This story does have a betrayal, as I mentioned. Christ in his life experiences really the the sum total of the Bible in his life as well. He experienced a betrayal and then out of that ultimately came hope as well. When we look at this, this is something that God talks about in Jeremiah and For some people, this is going to be quite an emotive topic. So let me preface this. The divine divorce of Israel. I want to, perhaps at the end, share five reasons or so why I think it's important that we understand this. Why it's important for us today as Christians to understand this. I've said to you that sometimes people read their Bibles as if they've got pieces of a jigsaw puzzle strewn on the dining table and they haven't got a box lid. So you've got all these, you know, 10,000 piece jigsaw puzzles 
I've never seen a 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle, by the way, but if there is such a thing, imagine having one strewn across the dining table with no concept of what the total picture looks like. And I think for many people, that's what the Bible is like. They've got bits and pieces. They read a verse here or there, which is like picking up a random piece of the jigsaw puzzle, looking at it and going, hmm, I didn't get anything out of that today, and putting it down and going away without seeing how that fits into the whole thing. So what I hope to do is to give you an understanding of the whole story, the whole story of the Bible. There's not a bit of the Bible that is unnecessary. There's not missing bits of the Bible that would help us to understand any better than we can understand now what God is telling us. If you've got your Bible and you can see your Bible, please turn. And there's a, we're going to be anchoring this largely in Jeremiah chapter 3, starting from verse 6. And you'll notice the, the, the funny two lines with the, the thing there. And you've probably got that in your Bible too. So that thing right up in the top left-hand corner there is, is the way that the translator and the publisher of the Bibles uh, are telling us this is where a new thought begins. And that's really, really important. In fact, those squiggly little things, whatever they're called, are far more important than verse numbers. The verse numbers can sometimes break a thought but these things tell you where the thought begins and and where the next thought begins this is what it says the lord said to me in the days of king josiah have you seen what she did now king josiah was a good king he became a king at a very young age we are told that of the four kings that jeremiah ministered to king josiah was a good king he tried to do what's right but He died very, very young, very young. So during this time when it looked positive, it looked up, we see this, that the Lord said to me, in the days of King Josiah, have you seen what she did? That faithless one, Israel, how she went up on every high hill and on every green tree and there played the whore. Excuse the language, but this is the biblical language. And again, if you haven't ever seen the box lid, this is going to sound a little bit confusing because you're going to think, well, wasn't Josiah king of Israel? And the answer is yes and no. The answer is that Israel, after their third king, which was Solomon, had a dispute that led essentially to a civil war. And the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes stopped talking to each other. The ten northern tribes became known as Israel. The two southern tribes became known as Judah. And this is where, when the tribe of Judah, as we'll see in a moment, went into Babylonian captivity, the Babylonians gave them the nickname Jews. So about a hundred years before Josiah, something cataclysmic had happened. Jeremiah is being told by God or asked by God, have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel, how she went up on every high hill and on every green tree and there played the whore. And what we're going to hear, I hope, is the, not only the heartbeat of God, but the heartache of God. And the heartache of God is that God, as we saw last week, as we, if we want to develop a relationship with God, a relationship of closeness, a relationship where we begin to hear him, feel him, sense him, we begin to, to experience him, God describes that as being like a marriage. And there's lessons that we can draw out of that relationship for marriage, but it goes the other way too. We can draw lessons out of marriage for our relationship with God. 
But this, as I mentioned, this story went sour. It went bad because the one to whom God had that kind of relationship with, that level of intimacy with, he describes them as going off and being worse than an adulteress, playing the whore, worse than an adulteress. So you hear the heartache of God. God continues and says to Jeremiah in verse 7, And I thought after she had done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister, Judah, saw it. So what we have here is a very brief statement that fills in some of the blanks perhaps in the story. That God had a relationship with the ten tribes of Israel and together they formed the nation of Israel. And then when those, sorry, the 12 tribes of Israel, when the 10 tribes to the north, when they walked away from God, playing the whore looked like bowing down to idols. Ultimately, it actually led to them getting into all kinds of horrible things, sacrificing their newborn babies in furnaces in the name of the gods that they supposedly were worshipping. It was horrible. And so what did God do? Hoping that they would return, he sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And probably the first major prophet who didn't write a book at all was this guy by the name of Elijah. Elijah came and you might remember Elijah the Tishbite spoke to one of the predominant kings of the north. His name was Ahab and he married a lady by the name of Jezebel. And she was horrible, horrible. And so God, even though they were doing these horrible things, human sacrifice and, and all kinds of um, child molestation. Oh, look, I'm trying to just tell you how it is. God sent prophet after prophet to warn them, to call them back, to get them, plead with them to stop doing it. And they just got worse. And so ultimately something happens. And he says here that Judah saw it. So we go to verse 8. And now God is saying something to Judah, the nation of Judah, through this young man, Jeremiah, who would have been maybe around 18, 19 years of age at the time he's declaring this to his people. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithful one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Now, there's a, a couple of things that get scholars wondering about this verse. Firstly, as we'll, we'll see in a moment, that there's some principles here about how you divorce someone. There is a protocol, and God actually gave the protocol. We'll see that protocol in a moment. And, and the question is, did God follow his own protocol in divorcing? So let's hold that thought for a moment. Let's go to the next verse, verse 9. It says this, Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. So we're talking about idolatry. And Judah's now getting into exactly the same thing as her northern cousin did, or, or as the Bible describes it, her sister. Verse 10. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. What does that mean? It means that, okay, okay, we'll, we'll do the whole look religious thing. So they went to the temple, they did the animal sacrifices, they participated in the ceremonies, they looked religious, but in their hearts, they still worshipped the god of Moloch, the god of Ashtate, the, these gods that required human sacrifice and sex with temple prostitutes, and oftentimes sacrificing newborn children 
in a furnace. Horrible stuff. So while they looked religious, their hearts were evil. So this is what we see just in this passage. And I want to unpack this. God's covenant with Israel is described as being a marriage. Being a marriage. That's, that's the closest thing we have today to a covenant, by the way. It's an agreement that's not meant to be broken. So we have a, a verse like this out of Isaiah where God just straight up declares that it was like a marriage. It says, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. So it describes this God as their husband. In Ezekiel chapter 16, it's a beautiful picture of a picture, in fact, that um, the Bible will repeat and enlarge upon. It's a picture of, uh, if I just paraphrase it and we'll have a look at some of the passage in a minute, but it's a picture of an eagle that flies in and sees a recently broken off branch. Now what happens to a fruit tree with a broken off branch and the branch is just lying there? If that thing's just left, it will die. And the picture is that the, the eagle swoops in, picks up that branch and flies to a distant land and plants that branch in and that little tiny branch begins to grow and grow and grow. And if you know the story how the prophets describe Israel as being like a small tree, a sapling tree that grows and grows and grows. And then ultimately we read that that tree grew so big under King Solomon. Then after Solomon died, his son Rehoboam came in and Rehoboam was, a tw- was just a twit, he was a dope. And he said, well, if you thought my father was hard, you ain't seen nothing yet. And the 10 northern tribes said, forget it, we're out of here. And so the picture of this huge tree and then suddenly of the 12 major branches that this thing has, 10 of them get cut off. And now you've got this tree that's got two branches. And then Isaiah the prophet said that ultimately Judah would also be cut off. And so now the prophets describe Israel as looking like a you know, imagine those two things cut off. All you've got left is a stump. And in Isaiah, what is it, chapter 11, Isaiah says, Out of the stump of Jesse will grow a shoot, the root of Jesse. Who is that, by the way? Jesus. And that's how Revelation describes him. And the Apostle Paul picks up on this picture. He says that this is like the picture of a, of a huge olive tree. And and this olive tree was cut to the stump and this shoot grew out of it. And, he, and this Jesus grew and he, he is the true Israel. And Paul in Romans 9, 10 and 11 says, We as Gentiles were like branches just cut off who've been picked up. And like a skilled gardener has made a cut like you can graft in. And we've been grafted into Christ. We've been grafted into Jesus. And he says, but what you might ask, well, what about the Jews who were originally cut off? They were part of the branches that were cut off. He says, well, many of them have been grafted in as well. And so now we have this tree that represents God's people that's that's linked to Christ, not to any particular ethnicity, but to Christ. And so in Ezekiel, he picks up on, he, he gives this story. I clothed you, he says, speaking of Israel, with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I strapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. Verse 11, and I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. This is what a bridegroom would do for a new bride. Verse 12, 
and I put a ring on your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So this is a, a young lady being adorned as a bride. Verse 13. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. This is the picture that God had of what he had done for these ragtag bunch of people that became known as Israel. So when the split happened, when the ten in the north and the two in the south happened, God describes them as now being like sisters. One nation but two sisters. And under that time it was acceptable that a man could marry two wives. Why a man would want to marry any more than one is risky at best, but why, I don't know. And so we read this in Ezekiel chapter 23, verse 4. Aholah was the name of the elder, which means one who, I think it's uh, one who worships tents. And Aholabah, the name of her sister, that's uh, one who wanders in tents. And I may have those around the wrong way, but both of them come from the, the Hebrew word tent. The name of her sister. They became mine, and they bore sons and daughters. As their names, Ahola is Samaria, which is to the north, which is Israel. So Israel's called Samaria. And Aholabah is Jerusalem, which is Judah. So, so Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom and Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom. So Ephraim, the northern tribes, when they went off into idolatry, they refused to return to God. God sent Elijah, he sent uh, Amos, and he sent some other prophets, which I'll refer to in a moment. So it, when they refused to return, God enacted the law, the protocol of divorce. What, what did that look like? Well, he gave, like a lot of things in the Bible, there are some things that are narrated without being endorsed. Some things are described, that is, that God doesn't endorse them, but they're in Scripture and they're described accurately. And then you've got things that are happening, and they're happening really poorly, really poorly. Like men would divorce their wives on, almost on a whim. And so women lived in fear, it was horrible, and so God brought in these laws in Deuteronomy chapter 24 to regulate a horrible practice because the result of a woman being divorced was not only shame but it was it was a sentence for lifelong impoverishment it meant that no man would probably ever want her because well now she has a reputation as a bad wife who wants to marry a bad wife and it meant that in those, in that culture she would have to resort maybe to prostitution to live. It was a horrible thing. And God comes in and regulates this. And Jesus tells us, by the way, in Matthew chapter 19, that this was not the ultimate heart of God at all. But God did it. He regulated it because of the hardness of men's hearts, it says. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if she then finds no favour in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate or bill or decree of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house 
and she departs out of his house and it goes on and describes a couple of things. Well, in fact, it describes at least three things that are happening here. And you can have a look at those in Deuteronomy 24. Let me, let me sum up. The, the, in order to divorce his wife, he had to find some indecency in her. I don't think that has to do with cooking. Yet, at the time of Jesus, the Pharisees had made cooking one of the acts of indecency. There had to be grounds for the divorce. We read this in Deuteronomy 24. So there had to be grounds for it. And the grounds, you'll go on and you'll read in Deuteronomy 24 what specifically the grounds were, and they were sexual. But that's the first thing. Secondly, the divorce had to be done in writing. It had to be done in writing. And then God says in Deuteronomy 24, if a man divorces his wife and sends her away, which is one of the consequences of divorce, and and there's... You know, I can see God's grace in this as well, strangely, because if she had to stay in that village, the shame of all that in that village would be intolerable. She had to be sent, which would imply being sent with some supplies, some support, to go and start again in some other village. But if he then changed his mind, she perhaps, it says in Deuteronomy 24, she goes off and she is sent away, she marries another man, and he divorces her. The first husband can't say well I'll take her back and I'll I'll marry her again so in other words don't do this lightly don't do this on a whim so this so actually if you can see the principles behind this it was actually to protect women and children particularly so it couldn't be reversed now this is the protocol for divorce I want you to consider this because God said he divorced Israel said it to Jeremiah I sent her away with a decree of divorce And what we're going to see is that Jeremiah is now warning Judah, if you keep doing what your older sister was doing, you also will be divorced. And why? Because Jeremiah is going to say, God now has the grounds to divorce you. But do you notice he doesn't just do it? He didn't do it, just do it with Israel. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet. He pleaded with them to stop doing what they were doing and to repent and to return. It shows us something about God's heart. Something I think that as we worship him, we can develop that same kind of heart for people who mess up. So God is warning through Jeremiah that he now had the grounds to divorce Judah as well. Let me remind you of what we've just seen and add one of the consequences which I've just talked about. That according to God's laws, we've just read in Deuteronomy 24, a divorce was enacted when a husband gave his wife a certificate of divorce. That is a written document. So she wasn't left wondering. People weren't left wondering. This is clear. This is what's happened. And then, here's the consequence of it, and then sent her away. Not just got rid of her, but sent her away. That would imply being sent with some provision, being sent away. In 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 23, we, we see how God reminds Judah that when Israel went into their spiritual adultery, I pleaded with them and I pleaded with them and I pleaded with them to return to me. It says, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, and this is the sending away bit, 
as he had spoken by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. So where was Israel, the the 10 northern tribes sent? They were sent away to a land to the north uh, of them called Assyria. I guess we might call that Iran today. That's where they were sent to. And I I guess the, the question is, okay, we can see God has sent them away. We can see he had the grounds for it. But where's the decree? What's the decree he gave them? So we come back to Jeremiah 3.8, and this is what causes theologians to stay up late at night and read Hebrew grammars and things like this to try and figure out, okay, Jeremiah 3.8, we read it before, let's read it again. She saw, this is um, Judah, she saw that all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, her sister to the north, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. And theologians go, where is it? What is it? Did God not actually give her a written decree of divorce? Would he break his law like this? How does this work? Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. In other words, God is saying, I, I, did, I, am, I implemented the protocol for divorce and you're now playing the whore. That's exactly the same grounds as we implemented for your sister to the north. So what is the decree? Where do we get this from? I'm going to suggest to you God actually did give them a written decree. And if you've read through the Old Testament, you've actually read it. You've read it. It is most likely, and this is where most scholars land on this, that God's written decree of divorce was given to them by someone who was a prophet during that time of the before they were sent into exile, who accused them of whoredom and openly declared that God was going to take for himself a new bride. And if you're going to take a new bride and you've got an old one, this is not polygamy, this is divorce. And so who was that prophet? It is most likely that the book of Hosea, one of the saddest books in the Bible. And why is it sad? If you know the story, God takes this prophet to the northern tribes and it must have been a really tough gig to be a prophet to the northern tribes because these guys were in a a time when people just disregarded God and they were idolatrous. But here's Hosea and God says to this this young man and this young man, I I could just see that he loved God. He loved God. And God says to him, I want you to go down to the marketplace and I want you to find that woman and I want you to take her as your bride. Unlike some of the other prophets who said, could you just repeat that? Because I thought you just said, Hosea just does it. He just does it. He goes and he takes this wayward woman whom we surmise was already dabbling in prostitution. We, 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 We surmise. And he marries her. And it's a hopelessly unhappy marriage. And, it's born, and how do we know that? It's born out in the names of the children. You know, when, you're naming, when the father names the child, this is not mine. You know, oh, let me introduce you to my children. This is not mine. Whatever the Aramaic word is, you can see it in Hosea. And I think the other one is, I don't know where this one came from. You know this is symptomatic of an unhappy marriage. And what do we read in Hosea? 
that he looks, he turns around to ask, you know, what's for dinner, darling? And she's gone. Where's she gone? Back down to the market. To do what? Solicit as a prostitute. And then things get so bad, she's sold as a slave because she can't even cut it anymore as a prostitute. And it just boggles my imagination how God says to Hosea, go and find her and buy her. Hosea goes and says to her owner, how much do you want for her? And if it was, if it was $50, Hosea says, I'll give you 500 that's the picture here. It's, it's like it's, a, you know, it's so many bags of wheat and so many this and that. And Hosea pays far more, far more than is being asked for. And it's a beautiful picture of how God is still saying, if you will come back to me, I will take you. And the story kind of ends. And we're not told what she did, but we're given some clues. Because God says in Hosea, Hosea, let me paraphrase it. You now know how I feel about Israel. How you're feeling about the humiliation of what your wife has done to you is a, a drop of how I feel about how my people whom I redeemed have done to me. Hosea, let me share an insight with you. You're a prophet, let me give you a prophecy. Hosea, I am going to divorce Israel and I am going to have a people who are not now my people but they will be my people. That's all we have time for tonight, but you can order the full-length version of this presentation on CD, audio or premium download by going to findingtruthmatters.org and selecting Jeremiah Part 194. As we've heard tonight, God's heart has always been for all people. Jesus Christ has now made a new covenant available to all who receive him as Saviour. More from Dr Corbett next week. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.